Hello everybody, and welcome back to Fantasy Breakout, where you can get the best information on players, stats, and storylines. I'm your host, Austin Cunningham, and I'll take you through everything you need to know to break away from the rest of your league. In today's episode, we have three segments to further help you break down the 2023 regular season and give you more tools to become a better fantasy football player. We're going to start off with a rookie review where I'm going to break down this year's rookies and discuss their value going into the future. Then I'll give you four important tips and tricks for the offseason. Finally, as promised, in our third segment, we have part two of our matchup analysis where I'm going to break down domes and how they affect fantasy players' output. In college football, we know that high school recruits are the lifeblood for maintaining and building a winning roster. In the NFL, it's very similar. Teams want rookies to help get new talent in the building and help spark success on the field. A rookie's first year in the NFL can have a huge impact on how the rest of their career shapes up. For example, who knows if maybe Zach Wilson could have developed into a better quarterback if he was able to sit and learn from a veteran QB, instead of immediately being thrust in the spotlight. Or imagine if Zach Wilson was drafted to a team with a better offensive line to protect him. This season had a ton of rookies show up for their teams and have really good seasons, so because of that I will have to split the segment into two parts. Today, we are going to focus on the rookies that had a good season, and in next week's episode, I will go through the rookies that had disappointing seasons. Let's get into the rookies, starting at the quarterback position. The only rookie quarterback that I felt truly deserved to be in this segment was Texans QB, CJ Stroud. Man, has Stroud been amazing to watch this year. Coming into the draft, Stroud was criticized for scoring in the 18th percentile on the S2 cognition test, which a lot of NFL teams use to measure a quarterback's value. But in the end, the Texans still drafted Stroud with the second pick in the draft, and neither the team nor Stroud has looked back since. Stroud is the favorite to win Rookie of the Year, as he has had a stellar season completing 63.9% of his passes for 4,108 yards and 23 TDs to 5 interceptions. Going into the future, I think that Stroud is going to be excellent for both the NFL and fantasy football. He has a great group of guys around him and is only going to get better with time. Next up, we have our rookie running backs. Then we'll get into three rookie wide receivers and a rookie tight end that I think have bright futures ahead of them. Let's break down their seasons and how I see them going forward. First up, we have Falcons running back Bijan Robinson. The Bijan Robinson hype reached a crazy high as the season kicked off. His college highlights are on another level, and he was looked at as a player that could be the next Saquon Barkley. He was drafted higher than expected when the Falcons took him with the 8th overall pick. Now we are all looking back on his rookie season with some mixed emotions. He looked amazing and constantly made plays for the Falcons. He had 214 carries for 976 rushing yards and 4 TDs, as well as plenty of receiving work with 58 catches for 487 yards and 4 TDs through the air. I think the biggest reason some fantasy managers are disappointed with his fantasy season is because of his usage. Bichon could have done so much more throughout the season, only it had been underutilized under Arthur Smith. I like Bijan's future outlook a lot, though, because the Falcons fired Arthur Smith and under the right coach could be in for a huge fantasy season next year. Next, we have Jameer Gibbs of the Detroit Lions. The Lions surprised everyone when they took Gibbs with the 12th overall pick. Normally, teams don't draft running backs very high in the first round because they tend to have shorter careers and demand big second contracts. But the Lions saw something in Gibbs, and they were definitely right. At the start of the season, Gibbs looked good, but wasn't doing anything great for fantasy teams. The Lions also signed David Montgomery in the offseason, who was taking most of the workload. Then, in the second part of the year, Gibbs started a takeoff when Montgomery missed a few games due to injury. 
Gibbs finished the season with 182 carries for 945 yards along with 10 TDs. Gibbs also had 52 receptions for 316 yards and 1 TD. While both Gibbs and Montgomery both finished the year with great stats, I think that Gibbs will continue to demand more opportunities going forward and will be a great player for fantasy teams in the coming years. Our last rookie running back that I want to focus on is Devon Achan. Achan fell in the draft because of his size at 5'9", and only weighing 188 pounds. Teams worried about his ability to take hits and hold up throughout the season. Nevertheless, the Dolphins took Achan in the third round with the 84th overall pick. Achan had a season like no other. He only has 103 carries, but racked up 800 yards and 8 touchdowns while averaging 7.8 yards per carry. To give you an idea for just how crazy that is, the player with the next highest yards per carry that had over 100 attempts was Lamar Jackson with 5.5 yards per carry. Achan is a special player with breakaway speed that makes him a constant threat to rip off a long run. With all that being said, Achan is hard to analyze going into the future. While he was outstanding on the field, the problem was staying on the field as Achan missed six games this season. I think that if Achan can stay on the field, then he has a very bright future ahead of him. But fantasy managers should be careful not to take him too high in the draft because of his injury history. The first rookie wide receiver that I want to get into is Puka Nakua. As a BYU football fan, I could not be more excited about Puka and the success that he's had this year. He was electric at BYU, but fell in the draft because he only ran a 4.57 in the 40-yard dash at the NFL Combine. The Rams ended up taking Nakua in the fifth round with the 177th overall pick. The Rams and Nakua were a perfect fit, as Nakua was able to start immediately when Cooper Cup was out due to an injury. He quickly became Stafford's favorite target, racking up 105 receptions for 1,486 yards, along with six touchdowns. Puka broke the long-standing records for most catches and most receiving yards by a rookie in NFL history. With coach Sean McVay calling plays and a star quarterback in Matthew Stafford, Puka is an amazing fantasy asset going into the future and will only get better with time. After breaking down Puka's season, we now have Kansas City Chiefs wide receiver Rasheed Rice. The Chiefs drafted Rice out of SMU in the second round with the 55th overall pick. Look, I know that I have been saying that the Chiefs haven't supplied Patrick Mahomes with any suitable wide receivers, but Rice was a big bright spot in the wide receiver room once he got going in the second half of the year. Rookies often take a while to learn a new offense and get used to playing in the NFL. This is why often you see rookies start to break out after the team's bye week. This was the case with Rice. He broke out and became one of Mahomes' go-to targets along with Travis Kelsey. He finished the year with 79 receptions for 938 yards and 7 touchdowns. The Chiefs will need to get more help at wide receiver in the offseason, but I really like Rice going into next year, especially if he can stay the top target in Andy Reid's top-tier offense. The last rookie wide receiver that I want to get into is Tank Dell. The Texans selected Dell in the third round with the 69th overall pick. He fell in the draft because of his size. He is smaller for a wide receiver at 5'10 and only 165 pounds. The Texans selected him after newly drafted quarterback C.J. Stroud requested that they draft him. Stroud and Dell had a connection from day one as Dell was great at creating separation on the field. Sadly, his season was cut short when a player fell on his legs from behind as Dell was blocking. Dell finished the year with 47 receptions for 709 yards and 7 TDs. While it is important to take Dell's injury into account next year, I think he has a great career laid out in front of him when he gets 100% healthy. Don't forget about Dell in drafts depending on how his rehab goes throughout the offseason. Let's break down tight end and Lions rookie sensation Sam Laporta. 
After drafting Jameer Gibbs in the first round, the Lions came back and grabbed Laporta out of Iowa with the 34th overall pick. The University of Iowa has been a tight end powerhouse over the years, training out players like George Kittle, TJ Hawkinson, and Noah Fant. Laporta was no different as he immediately made an impact for the Lions and was a big part of the offensive game plan. Laporta ended the season with 86 receptions for 889 yards and 10 touchdowns. In fantasy football, it is always hard to find lots of good tight ends that will make a real difference on your team. After averaging 14.1 PPR points per game this year, Laporta finished as the tight end one in fantasy and should be counted on in all fantasy leagues. To wrap up the rookie review segment, I want to shout out a few honorable mentions. These rookies still had great rookie years, but I wasn't able to break down their seasons in this episode. Rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison, Zay Flowers, and Jaden Reed all had great rookie years, and I like their potential going into the future. Flowers and Reed should be stable options next year, and if the Vikings re-sign Kirk Cousins or another top QB, then Addison should be a great option as well. I also wanted to mention Dalton Kincaid. Kincaid had a solid rookie year with the Bills, and could get a bigger role in the offense once Dawson Knox is gone. Next up, I'm going to walk you through four tips and tricks to help you follow the NFL in the offseason and make the best decisions for next year's fantasy season. At tip one, we have don't get emotional over last year's results. This tip is a big one, not just for the offseason, but for fantasy football in general. We often make emotional decisions on players. Maybe it's because they're on your favorite team. Maybe they're on your most hated team. Maybe they performed well for you before, or maybe they didn't. Or maybe they played at a college you like, or when you didn't. The reasons are endless, and it comes down to the fact that no matter how you feel about the player, it doesn't affect their production in either fantasy or real life. Don't make emotional decisions in fantasy football. This offseason, there's going to be a lot of positive and negative offseason buzz. For example, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. Side note, don't let that sway you. I promise it won't affect my takes. Look, if Dak Prescott's situation stays the same, then I can't view him in a negative way just because he tanked my favorite team in the playoffs. That brings us to tip number two, which is pay attention to off-season roster moves. A lot can change over the off-season as free agents find new homes, trades are made, and coaches move teams. It's important to not only keep track of off-season roster moves, but to analyze how they might affect your view on players already on the team. For example, when AJ Brown was traded from the Titans to the Eagles, not only did Brown stock rise, but it also positively affected Eagles QB Jalen Hurts because he got another top target to throw to. Brown also helped Devonta Smith and Dallas Goddard's stock go up more as the defense's attention went to Brown instead of them. It also opened up opportunities for wide receivers on the Titans to get more of a workload. It also hurt Ryan Tannehill's stock at the time. Make sure you pay attention this offseason before you blink and the entire landscape of the NFL changes. Next, we have tip three, which is to pay attention to the rookies. Speaking of offseason moves, the NFL draft is one of the most important events of the offseason. One thing I have learned when playing fantasy football over the years is that there are always multiple rookies that break out that can often go to help fantasy teams win championships. You want to be familiar with all the draft prospects before the season starts and pay attention to what team they are drafted to and how high they are drafted. Often, how high a player is drafted can help show you how highly the team thinks of that player. For instance, in the 2023 draft, Bijan Robinson and Jameer Gibbs were taken at the 8th and 12th picks overall. Looking back on drafts over the years, you can see that running backs don't usually go super early in the first round. The Falcons and the Lions showed that when they took these guys that early in the draft, that they valued what they could do and planned to make them parts of the offense during the season. That brings us to our fourth and final tip, 
which is don't forget about the defense. Unless you are part of one of the rare leagues that uses defensive players in fantasy, we often don't focus enough on the defensive moves being made throughout the offseason. Outside of the defensive unit as a whole, fantasy managers aren't aware enough of how a team's defense can have such a big effect on their offense. For example, before the trade deadline this year, the commanders traded away star defensive linemen Montez Sweat and Chase Young. This left an already struggling commander's defense with not a whole lot of talent on that side of the ball. After the commanders made those moves, opposing offenses were able to knife through the defense and score a ton of points. This made the commander's offense have to abandon the run early in games and try to throw the ball more in order to catch up. In case any of you looked at the leaders in passing yards midseason and were surprised to see Sam Howell at the top at one point, the defense is the reason. It's important to remember that defenses always affect the offenses, whether that's anything from forcing the offense to throw to keep up or generating turnovers and giving the offense a short field. Remember to pay attention to how defenses around the league are shaping up throughout the offseason so that you can get more information on how the offense might be affected. Over the next couple of weeks, we are getting into matchups in our third segment in order to help you with weekly start-sit decisions. In last week's episode, we got in a home field advantage and how it affects the quarterback position. Be sure to go back to last week's episode if you want to hear part one. This week, I'm going to be focusing on domes and how they affect fantasy production. There are many different reasons why a team may win or lose a game. It doesn't always just come down to who has a better roster. Sometimes it all comes down to which team can adapt and play better in the weather. Often games can be affected by rain, snow, extreme heat, wind gusts, or other versions of inclement weather. For example, on December 6, 2021, the Patriots took on the Bills in Buffalo, where there were extreme wind gusts. The Patriots won the game 14-10 despite only attempting three passes. Instead, the Patriots won the game by racking up 222 yards on the ground. This is why it is important to know which 11 NFL teams' home stadiums are domes. Currently, the Raiders, Cowboys, Saints, Lions, Colts, Falcons, Texans, Chargers, Rams, Cardinals, and Vikings all play in domes. When it comes to playing in domes, you probably have heard that kickers kick better in domes than in outdoor stadiums. But you might be surprised to know that despite the absence of weather in a dome, there is little effect on the kicker's accuracy and fantasy output. While there is a difference, it's not enough of a margin to really take it into account besides inclement weather situations. Now, what I really wanted to get into when it comes to fantasy output in domes is that teams score more points when playing in a dome. There was a study done from 2003 to 2015 that tracked how many total points teams scored when playing in a dome versus outdoors. The average amount of total points scored in games played outdoors was 42.4 points per game, while the average amount of total points scored by teams playing indoors was 46.2 points per game. This might not seem like a big difference at first, but when you think about it, it's a 9% increase in scoring. I cannot stress it enough that every point counts in fantasy football. When trying to choose between two wide receivers with very similar situations and game logs, choosing the one that is playing in a dome could end up winning you a week. I'm not telling you to automatically start whichever players are in a dome, but you want to look at everything when comparing a close start-sit decision. Again, every point counts in fantasy football, so also make sure to reevaluate your roster every week to make sure that you are playing the players with the best chances to give your team a good performance. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's episode. Thanks for joining The Breakout. If you liked the show, please subscribe and support the podcast. I'll catch up with you guys next week as we get into rookie disappointments and their future outlooks. 
as well as more off-season player analysis and part three of what to look at when analyzing matchups for your weekly start-sit decisions. 